Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks and don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people in the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. You will be acting the way children of the Most High act, for God is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, after hearing this, your scripture, I come trembling before you. But it is your mercy that we seek, and it is your gifts of enablement that we ask as we listen to your voice, which is so different than our own. Be in the hearts and minds listening to your scripture. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm gonna dance away from that scripture as fast as I can. My first experience with Christian thought was when a Mormon disciple was trying to explain to me the existence of God. Now, in all honesty, I was the one who initiated this conversation because I had one of those unexplained, unexpected curiosities about God, and I only knew of one person to ask. I had encountered plenty of people who, in my opinion, were idiots about the faith, their faith. I did not seek any of those out. This particular Mormon disciple was the only person I knew who seemed sincere and gentle about the importance of faith in God. I have no idea about what, mo what most of he said was about. 
bad sentence, but I think you know what I mean. But he ended with one phrase that changed my entire course of life and my heart. He ended with the phrase, did it? God has known and loved you since before you were born. Now, this many years later, I think it was in the tract of Mormon thought. I didn't know anybody's tracts. I took that concrete and literal. A God who knew me before I was born and loved me. I couldn't help myself. I had only one example. So I said in return, you mean God is like my grandmother? And God bless this person. I could see the struggle on his face, but it was, I am eternally grateful for his response. Yes? That's all I needed to know. How do I meet this person? Well, you pray. <laughs> what does that mean? So this passage in Luke is the crux of what brought me into the fold of all saints. As a young inquirer, I could see everything that was said here in Luke 6 as concrete and literal. And then I met the church. Maybe I didn't see that in practice quite so much. Now, if your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 6, you will see, and this is full disclosure, I completely missed all of those woes. I find woes mis too often misinterpreted by the Christian community. People find too much complexity and feel God is a downer. That is the last thing that the creator God is. And missing the point of an encouragement. Come on, let's just not be this way. So I today have started with the love. However, it's as complicated as the woes because we have a hard time choosing this better way. The complexity of love is something we might be tempted to turn away from as easily as we would boldly turn away from Jesus's woe to you, or whoa, don't go there. I don't know how you interpret those woes, but I interpret it, whoa, don't go there, that's gonna be a pile of trouble for you. Now my second great lesson on love came multiple years later during an intense argument at the Presbyterian Theological College in Cameroon. Tensions were very high in this group that had included me, an outsider. This group that I knew helped each other, taught each other, wrestled with thought with each other because Christian thought is actually sometimes kind of hard. They had kindly, lovingly accepted me. They had shown me an acceptance I have never, had never practiced or experienced. But I was very uncomfortable with this arguing, and I have one of those faces that shows every thought that crosses my face, which is actually very dangerous. And in this case, everybody stopped talking and stared at me. And I thought, rats, they already know what I'm thinking. Then Yango turned to me, and she addressed me in pigeon, which, believe it or not, is a huge honor. 
and I won't repeat it to you because A, my pigeon has dwindled, and B, you may not understand what, it, what she said. But she said, you do not like our arguing, arguing because in your culture, arguments lead to broken relationships and broken families and a break within friends. In our culture, we live in a community and can disagree as much as we like because that is all that is happening. We are just disagreeing. We will stay in community and have each other's backs no matter how much we disagree. We choose to love no matter what, and that is a lesson you need to learn. Oh, I'm not sure I've learned that lesson, but I will never forget Yango's words to me. She read me like a book. And as I approach this, this section from Luke 6, which I actually try to avoid as often as possible, I have to come face to face with the way I do not live this, pas this passage the way I should. Now, Luke's Sermon on the Plain is a shorter version of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, which is equally as hard. So I like James Tussauds painting, which is why I'm sharing it with you today. It shows Jesus as the one who's sitting down, not taking a powerful position, not showing any dominance, but he's listening. He's reading the speaker. He seems to even be expressing acceptance and love while this speaker, who is hunched over in that argumentative posture, and even if this person described by the, the, uh, the title of Tussauds painting, even if this scribe is Showing some hostility to Jesus, does Jesus look like he's withering? Nope. Does he look like he's offended, like I would probably be? Nope. He's listening and hearing. Even a person who is challenging and annoying or possibly wrong. So I would like to, on my own, jump into this picture. I don't know what was in Tissot's mind. And I would like to listen to what I think the scribe might be saying to Jesus. Now remember, a scribe knows scripture very well from an entire profession of copying scripture down. No copy machines back in the day. Imagine the scribe saying, nonsense. Loving your enemy means losing self-respect, losing your position in the power chain, doing good to those who hate you, defeats ambition. And it does not allow me to engage in my hate. Blessing those who hate you makes you powerless. Don't bless them. And being powerless is unacceptable in a tyrannical world, which the scribe knew well. But praying for those who mistreat me, 
No problem. I will pray down God's curses on them as fast as I can. I'm making this up and it's really fun. I will not accept a second slap from any person. It is better to stand out of the way and not get involved. And no, I will not give my shirt to. Enough is enough. What dribble that we are not to ask for anything in return? There's my fictitious scribe's dialogue based on this posing picture. Now Jesus, he is offering the many aspects of giving that you and I know he lives throughout the four gospels. He is living what he did throughout his mission. Giving love to the unlovable, giving something good in the face of hate, giving a blessing where somebody else has brought a curse, praying where we feel powerless. In my made-up rebuttal by this scribe who represents every single one of us at some point in our life, I too argue all of the reasons that Jesus' beatitudes, beatitudes seem absolutely impossible, if not totally impossible. And maybe this impossibility of these beatitudes is exactly the point. Upon whom do we rely? Well, obviously ourselves. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not sure that's the right answer. Maybe the point that Luke and Matthew want to convey to us is this invitation to a better way based on the life of everything of Jesus and everything that he did and taught. And then the invitation to ask ourselves, if you, and you're probably not like me at all in this regard, want to dance away from this sermon on the plain or those sermons on the mount, who is it then that we honor and follow? I'd be the first person to say, in the name of Jesus, and the last person to say, exactly as Jesus lived. Okay, there might be a little dichotomy there. So a quote to offer you from Norman Wurzba. He wrote, I, I'm quoting this from the article he submitted to the Christian Century magazine last November, a year ago. He said, God creates as the expression of the divine, hospitable love that delights in the life of others. Hospitable love that delights in the life of others. I have to come back and ask myself, do I also delight in the life of others? And while you ponder that, I'm going to lean now on a quote from Keith Giles, who writes for Pathios, the progressive Christian website. He's speaking of and to the Beatitudes. Who is God according to Jesus? God is not wrathful, always loving, quick to forgive, our Abba, 
patient and kind. Jesus famously said that if we wanted to know who God was like or what God was like, we simply had to look at him to see for ourselves, kind of like Luke chapter 6. And this is one way to hear the Sermon on the Mount and this Sermon on the Plain. In Jesus, we see a reflection of a God who is quick to forgive everyone, usually before they even know they need it. God is not wrathful or vindictive. God does not retaliate when attacked. God is actively concerned for the weak, the outcast, the sick, the poor among us. And God sends blessings that we rarely recognize are sent by God. Not just to the righteous, but even to those who hate God the most. That is your God. Okay, my God. Who are we, Giles writes. According to Jesus, we are God's children, loved, forgiven, accepted, treasured, and again, Jesus sees a God who calls everyone daughter, son, who loves us enough to give up everything to be with us, whether we do or do not like Luke chapter six. So what are our fundamental problems? According to Jesus, our problems are we do not forgive, ouch. We hold grudges or we don't forget wrongs, same thing. We have blind spots, too true. We only see what others do wrong. Well, not all others, just some others. We are selfish, I am. We love money. We love fame, popularity. We forget who our brother and sister and our neighbors are, according to Jesus. And we forget who God is. And in this painting, look at Jesus receiving the scribe and you and me. I think Tissot captures it perfectly. So on this All Saints Day, how did the people that we have remembered here, that you have remembered, how did they treat you? Was there equity? Was there ministry? Was there going the extra mile? Was there love? Were they the family of God shouldering the load with you? Were they family? Were they friends crying with you when you needed a good cry? On this All Saints Day, what makes a saint? Could it be anything other than the given love of God Almighty whom we have just seen today? Amen.